0: What is up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Surfing the Stream, where every week we are in a quest to find out what is the greatest movie of all time. I am Matt Primo, and this week I will continue my review series with the uh, the request of the Patreon supporters. So basically every single week I am going up to a different Patreon supporter and getting a movie request from them. We have done numerous movies up to this point, this week, I am reviewing Chris Norman's request of The Shape of Water. This is a movie, just some background into whether I've seen this before or whether I haven't. Uh, I have not seen this before. I've, I, I started it, and I watched maybe 15 minutes of it, but I didn't pay attention to it. I, I don't know if I didn't have interest in it at the time or if I was just busy doing other things, and I just wasn't able to pay attention to it, but needless to say, I did not finish it. Uh, I stopped right at fifteen minutes and never gave it another thought. Uh, I did kind of back of my head say, "Hey, maybe I do need to finish that movie at some point," but it was not something that was on my on my radar to go back to almost immediately. It was something that I was content with never watching again. But the thing is, I was interested in watching it before I had you know I actually started it for the, those fifteen minutes. I was interested in it because, well, one, it won Best Picture award and Best Director at the Oscars, so I was definitely intrigued by it just because it got so many accolades and awards and whatnot. So it was something that you know I put on my watch list on the on the Letterbox app, and it's been sitting there for forever. And now this was my my final chance to, or I guess not my final chance. This was my chance. To go into this movie with a clear head and, hey, I am going to spend two hours with this thing, like it or love it or hate it, I am going to finally watch this movie and finally give it a a good old college try and see if I actually like this movie or not. So I am very eager to jump into this movie and kind of give you all my, my impressions of it and whether or not you should go watch it immediately but before we jump into the actual review if you like what we're doing here and you want to consider supporting us maybe you want to get your request reviewed i don't know maybe you want like a i don't know like a movie from the 60s reviewed because we hardly ever review movies that are older like that uh very occasionally do we go past the 80s and that's not really you know now that i think about it that's not really like a constant conscious, like, effort in the back of my head where I'm like, ah, fuck that, man, like, I'm not watching anything past, like, the 80s, fuck that, you know, that never really crosses my mind, it's just, for whatever reason, I just kind of gravitate towards 80s and, uh, sooner, like, towards right now, modern day, uh, so before that, we, we typically, we've reviewed a couple of movies, uh, before the 80s but it hasn't been too much so i mean if you want to be that person that reviews that wants me to review a movie from like the 50s or the 60s or the 70s then by all means go to patreon.com slash two game that is the number two supports it any of those tiers and then you get access to our discord which is where all the fun and shenanigans occurs that's where you get to request uh, our reviews for surf of the stream uh content for the two game podcast and uh, the Wall of Death podcast, and so on and so forth. Uh, lots and lots of stuff going on on our Patreon, so we would we would be very appreciative if you came uh, to our Patreon and supported us. We need three more supporters to hit our next goal, which is going to be getting our YouTube channel up and running on a more consistent basis. So basically, I would be working less at my full-time job and I would be able to kind of convert that into podcast hours. Uh, so, yeah, three more supporters. We would, be gr- we would greatly appreciate if you did come and join us. But that's enough of that. Let's jump into the review for The Shape of Water. At a top-secret research facility in the 1960s, a lonely janitor forms a unique relationship with an amphibious creature that is being held in captivity. This movie is directed by Guillermo del Toro. He's directed a number of movies. Pacific Rim, Hellboy 1 and 2. Great movies, by the way. Pan's Labyrinth, Pinocchio, the new one that just came out on Netflix. Nightmare Alley, Crimson Peak, Blade 2, and Mimic. I'm trying to think off the top of my... Did I review Hellboy, Hellboy 1 and 2? I... I don't know. I think maybe I did. I feel like I've, I've wrote down the director's name a couple of times for reviews. So it had I had to have reviewed Hellboy 1 and 2. Had to. Uh, but anyways, this movie has a budget of $19.4 million, and it grossed $195.3 million. You know, little ADD moment here. It's funny. I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to forget what movies I reviewed and what I haven't. At one point, I could I could tell you right off the top of my head, oh, yeah, absolutely, I reviewed that. But now that we're kind of getting almost to, like, the 300 mark, uh, maybe 300 plus for the, uh, it's not really that much. It's, well, I think we're like, the 250s. But anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. It's more for Patreon because you get exclusive reviews and whatnot. But I'm getting to that point now where it's like, uh, did I, did I review that? I mean, Josh has brought up numerous reviews that I'm like, I don't think we reviewed that. And he's all like, oh, yes, we have. And, you know, who am I to argue with him, you know? But anyways, like I said, ADD moment. This movie stars Sally Hawkins, Octavia Spencer, Michael Shannon, and Doug Jones. It has a runtime of two hours and three minutes. And it was released December 22nd, 2017. So a bunch of fun facts here. The creature design was heavily inspired by Creature from the Black Lagoon. I I would go Creature from the Black Lagoon and then um, Abe from Hellboy One and Two. The director says there is no inspiration from Hellboy One and Two for the design of the of uh, the amphibian man in this movie. But guys, when you look at it, it looks just like Abe from Hellboy One and Two, like almost exactly the same. But I do see the inspiration from The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which, by the way, that was one of my favorite movies of all time when I was a kid. Fucking loved that movie. Loved it. I rented it from the library so much. Yes. Yes. I I rented movies from the library. That's how old. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm old or anything like that, but that's like how back in the day it was. You didn't go to, there was blockbusters and, and shit like that, but yeah, you we would mainly go to uh, libraries on the base in Kentucky, and that's where I would get my movies from. I'd I'd watch them from the library, but I used to love that movie. Rewatched that for ah, what was it? Uh, Horror in Review Part One, maybe, or was it Part Two? I don't remember. I don't remember. But I rewatched it, and it wasn't as good as I remembered it to be. But you know, headspace is a lot of things. You know, it really matters when you watch a movie what you were going through at the time, because it it greatly affects whether you like a movie or not. I mean, hell, I was going through a bunch of shit when I watched Chef, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Would that movie have worked if I'd have watched it, I don't know, two years sooner? Probably not, but Chef is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time now, and it's mainly because I connected with it on a more personal level, and I was also wide awake. You know, some movies, if you're asleep, you just, you, you know, sleepy, you just don't Really jive well with it you know on an emotional level so it really matters when where and what you're going through when you watch a movie so maybe that was the case uh but anyways approximately 95 of this film was shot in a studio doug jones who is the amphibian man spent three hours every day getting into his costume The color green is a recurring theme in the film's aesthetic. Lots and lots and lots of greens and like blue hues as well. The first film since Braveheart to win Best Picture without a nomination for the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast and a Motion Picture. And then they won the award for Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Original Score. So... I'm going to kind of start off with those three things when I talk about my my general impressions of this movie, okay? First off, going into this movie, I expected just Del Toro's fantastical sense of of like set design and costume designs. I was really just expecting to be blown away by that. I was expecting some decent romance. I mean, that's kind of what I perceived the movie to be a, a drama slash romance. I uh, expected some decent connection and character work there. Uh, good background, you know, lore, building, story, world, all that kind of stuff that Del Toro is kind of famous for. I kind of, I kind of expected all that. And I would say that some of those expectations were met, some of them weren't. But that's not necessarily means that. I feel differently about the movie just because it didn't meet those expectations. This movie is great, okay? First, off the bat, I, I do love this movie. I, it's really great. Now, is this a movie that I can watch, you know, once every couple months, maybe once a year? Probably not, okay? Probably not. This, this is a movie that I could pop in, I don't know, maybe every couple years, sit back and just kind of enjoy some of the performances, which the performances were really, really great in this movie. All right, which kind of goes back, and we'll kind of talk about in, in this in a second, some of the performances, it, the, they're a little bit different than what you' you're, what you're used to, okay? We have two leads in the film. all right? We got Sally Hawkins, Carrie, Eliza, and then the amphibian man. Neither of them talk, which is very, very weird when you think about having a movie, a huge movie like this, Especially when it comes to uh, like winning winning awards and whatnot, very popular movie during award season. The, the leads don't really talk like ever. So it, it's very different in that in that realm. But overall I, I, I really do love this movie. but with that being said, I don't think this is a movie for everybody. Like if I'm just pulling one person off the top of my head, Carmen or maybe Corey, y'all are out there, those are Patreon supporters, shout out to y'all. I don't know necessarily if y'all would like this movie. Uh, I'm not really too keen on what what Corey loves and likes in in terms of her movies, but like Carmen, I don't think she would like this movie. Now, sometimes I do get kind of, I I tell Carmen, I'm like, this is not a movie for you. And then she goes, I fucking love that movie. I'm like, "Ah, fuck, do I really even know you at this point? So, To me, this movie is slow. It it is pretty slow. The the character work and the overall story kind of carries me through it. But I could see where a lot of people would say, dude, this movie is probably about 15, 20 minutes too long. And it is. It's probably a little bit longer than it needs to be. Shout out to that. I'm thinking like one hour and 45 minutes is a good runtime for this movie. The pacing is a little slow. But it doesn't really, that is one of my big complaints about the movie, is the pacing. But it's not to the point where I was looking at my time every five seconds to see where I was in the movie and yada, yada, yada. This was a movie that I I did enjoy from beginning to end. And like I said, the pacing was probably my biggest issue with it. But it wasn't enough to to hold the movie back uh, a whole lot for me. So let's jump into some of the character stuff. Actually, you know what? I'll take that back. Let's knock out some of the smaller things. The score, it won Best Score, and rightfully so. The score is fantastic. I do really, really love the score. It does add a sense of... It really brings out like that 1960s feel to the movie with the score. And I think the score really kind of elevates the movie in that sense. So to me, a score can... Like there, there's different types of scores like there's one that really kind of brings you in and makes you a part of that world kind of like this movie and then there's the suspenseful ones that really just put you on the edge of your seat and then there's like the the horror themes the, the horror like scores kind of like I'll use the witch as an example that score is utterly fantastic it really draws you in and builds a sense of dread and anxiety and tension in just about every single scene. So there's different varieties of of scores out there. This one in particular, in my opinion, really kind of sets the mood for for that era, for the 1960s feel to it, and it adds an an extra oomph to the movie. It really kind of sucks you in. Shout out to that as well. So when it kind of brings you closer to the movie, and honestly, the... The set design, the score, they're kind of just like they're, they're characters of their own, honestly. Because if you look at the set design, the set design is just gorgeous. The set design is absolutely fantastic. It, it feels like a, like something that's happened in the 1960s. Like, I think they absolutely nailed the set design, the aesthetics, the costumes, and, and the score. I think all those were home runs for this movie, actually. So... Now that we kind of got the little small aspects of the movie out the way, let's talk about three characters in particular, okay? We're obviously going to be talking a lot about Sally and Amphibian Man, but I got to give the MVP award to Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon is a vastly, vastly underrated actor. I think he is great in just about everything he does. I don't know of a movie that I've seen with him that I've just disliked i thought he was great as general zod and man of steel he, like he owned that role for me personally and he does have some zod tendencies with his voice and his performance in this movie it definitely gave me some zod uh flashbacks but that's not a bad thing by any means so with his character i, I really dig not only his performance as strickland the the security guard or what have you okay I really, really enjoyed that character development and then his performance on top of that. Like I said, he he's, he's such a good actor and he's so good with his his line delivery and then the dialogue for him is just so fucking good to begin with. So you combine both of those things and it's just like this perfect storm for that character. Easily my favorite character out of the entire movie. Easily. And it's not even up for debate. But... I do think that they do a really great job of developing and slowly progressing that character of Strickland as a villain. When when he first shows up, you're not entirely sure he is the villain of the movie. Maybe he's just maybe he's just another guy, you know? Maybe he's like the uh, oh, what was his name in Free Willy? What was it? It wasn't Harold, it wasn't it was something to do with an H. You know the the guy that takes care of the whales and shit like that. So that's kind of what maybe I thought Michael Shannon's character was going to be, right? Like the the free willie type character. But that's not what he was. He he ended up turning into a villain, and it was it was so great to see that slow progression of him going from maybe that character that is going to be kind of friends with the janitors and whatnot to this devious, evil, just human being that's going to do everything that he can to not only succeed and not fail at his job and the with his boss but also really just go after this amphibian man and then the people that took him right so the slow progression of that was done really well and at first like he's this intriguing character then he just slowly becomes more villainous you just can't help but hate him and hate his character. And I think that is when an actor does a fantastic job is when you start, Oh my God, I wish this dude would just die already in this movie. You know, Joffrey is the, the, the one that comes to mind for me personally and, and like game of Thrones. Like, Oh my God, like he is doing such a great job. Like I physically, I just, I loathe that character. It's not like a loathe that character, like this is like one of the worst characters ever. no, the acting and the writing is so damn good that I legitimately hate this character. So, yeah, Michael Shan's character, home run for me, best part of the entire movie. So now let's dive into Amphibian Man and Eliza. So, obviously, they're the two leads, and to me, it's, it's a very unique move to make both of your leads mute in this movie. Obviously, Amphibian Man is a creature, so he's not going to really talk, right? But then you got Eliza, who is this this mute, and she commu- communicates through sign language and and whatnot, so she she can't actually speak. So it's interesting to have this have this these two characters that are very very similar in how. And how they go about life. One can't communicate because, well, he's just a creature and he can't talk. The other one, for medical reasons, medical condition, whatever, uh, is a mute and can't speak that way, right? So, similarities right there off the bat. But the thing is, I love how they can connect through these similarities. And granted, they are vastly different in that they come from different worlds, literally and figuratively speaking. But I love how they connect through body language, uh, sign language, and through music in this movie. Not just music uh, in terms of the score, but like there's actual music parts in this movie where they're listening to like record players and whatnot. So this this relationship, this romance, is being developed differently than most movies out there. And you got to give it a lot of credit for doing something different, in my opinion. I don't know of any romance movies off the top of my head that deals with two mute characters in this way. I mean, you could draw some similarities between like, uh, like, uh, like Beauty and a Beast and Little Mermaid, especially Little Mermaid, uh, especially when, you know, Little Mermaid becomes mute towards the uh, middle part of the movie. I, I think you can draw some similarities between those two films to this one. But, to say that both leads are mute, I mean, I don't know of a movie off the top of my head. So the romance aspect of this movie is done a lot differently than you would you would normally get from like a like a rom com or or what have you. So I really loved how they connected through that that body language, that sign language and, and the music. And you know, she's over there, she's teaching them to sign for egg, and that's how they kind of connect with each other. You know? Which by the way, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, ladies, if you are looking to connect with a man, the best way to connect with a man is through his stomach. And that's what she did in this movie with eggs. So I mean, it all makes sense. Like that's, that's just science. All right. The science is there. It makes sense. So I, I do love how they kind of combined those two worlds together with the similarities, but they're different at the same time. And connecting through connecting through different means—it's not just character development through conversation. It's through a lot of a lot of body language is how this relationship is formed. And I, I love that they went with something a little bit different than what we would normally get. Honestly, I didn't think that she was a mute going into this movie, so I was kind of expecting more on the conversation side. But I liked what they decided to go with uh, for those two characters. And then you got then then you got to bring up the fact that, you know, when you look up when when you think about people being mute, obviously we would consider that kind of like a handicap. Okay, I I think it's it's great it's a great choice to kind of combine these two characters, and honestly, they're bonding over those similar handicaps, and I I find it. Very interesting and appealing, not appealing, I guess that's not the right word I want to use, but I find it very intriguing the way they went about it with this movie. Other than that, um, I will say this, that one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it was connected to a previous scene, so technically it's two scenes, but really the second scene works best because they set it up with the first scene and that was when Strickland went home, okay? He he told his wife that he wanted a car and she's just like, "Huh? You want a car? I want that D. So, let's work something out." And well, he gives his wife the D, right? And he tries choking her in that in that scene and he's telling her to be quiet, you know, be silent, which kind of reverts back to this aspect of Eliza being a mute so you, you don't really connect those dots at first that he would have this infatuation with her, but then he really want to get, he really wants to give her that D. All right. And they set up that moment perfectly in this particular scene because of that earlier sex scene. And he just, he wants, he wants her because she's silent. And like I said, they, they kind of set that up earlier in the movie with him telling that to his wife. So I, I really, really loved that, that setup for that scene. It worked really well for me personally, and it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And then the one last thing that I want to say about the movie, all right? The, the big, I, I don't want to call it a set piece because it's not really a set piece, but I, I think one of the biggest moments in the entire movie is when Eliza kind of floods the bathroom, and the entire bathroom is filled with water. And when I tell you the entire bathroom is filled with water, I mean the entire bathroom is filled with water. Like, to the ceiling type of <laughs> filled with water. And it's leaking everywhere downstairs into the uh, into the theater and whatnot. Look, I-, I think that's a huge scene. It's a, it's a gorgeous scene, obviously. But at the same time, I question the logistics of of how that scene, act like, can that scene actually happen in real life? I mean, I get it, you put a towel underneath the cracks, but something tells me you're not going to be able to fill an entire room full of water without either, A, bussing down the door with the weight of that water, or it just, like, I know it was leaking out some, but I, I question the logistics of that scene, okay? I, I was like, bruh. Okay, I can believe an amphibian man. I don't know if I can believe that this entire fucking bathroom is filled with water and there's nothing happening other than just some water coming out from the bottom and the sides. So I can believe the amphibian man uh you you're not gonna get me on this on this this bathtub scene, okay? This this bathroom filled with water. Just you're not gonna get me on it, all right? But overall, I do really, really enjoy this movie. I gave it four stars I think it was on Freevee. That's F-R-E-E, V as in Victor, E-E. It's a free-to-watch-movie like watch movie kind of app. Uh, you just watch a bunch of commercials. Uh, I think that's where I watched it for, for this particular review. I would recommend it. If you are interested in a movie with the... Uh, maybe you're a Del Toro fan, then I think you would be interested in this movie. Is it as fantastical and you know, huge on the world building and, and whatnot, uh, compared to like Hellboy or maybe Pan's Labyrinth. I don't think so. I, I don't think it is in that, that category. Like those are like, to me, in terms of like lore, world building and like set designs and even costumes, I would put those in like S tier personally. Now I, I think, Everything in this movie kind of comes together to make a really great movie. I wouldn't put it in a S-tier for any particular thing. Maybe the, maybe the score. The score is really damn good. But I, I don't think they excel at any just one thing other than the score in this movie that would catapult it into the S-tier category in terms of the world building and and you know the set design and stuff like that. Uh, but it is a great movie nonetheless, and I think people should go check it out. Uh, I appreciate Chris recommending this movie. It's definitely a it was, it was a curveball. I was not expecting him to request this particular movie. But if you are into Del Toro, if you are into maybe the romantic side of movies, then this is one hundred percent something that you should go check out. If you're not in, if you're not into like a little bit slower movies, you know you need the action and whatnot. Eh, you probably should just skip this. Go ahead and just skip it. I I don't think you'll miss anything. But if you are in the mood to watch a movie that got a lot of awards and won Best Picture and you're into that kind of crap, then 100% go check this movie out. I gave it four stars. As far as pricing, personally, personally, I would not buy this movie. Maybe if it was on sale for like two or three bucks at one point, maybe. But this is just not a movie that I would find myself rewatching on a consistent basis. So it's not something that... I feel the need to go out and buy right now. Now, should you rent it for three or four bucks? I I would probably rent it for two or three bucks. That's that's probably the extent of what I would pay for this movie. I honestly would try to find it on a streaming site and go about it that way. It, if that, that would be the best case scenario for it. But if you were really interested in the movie, I uh, yeah, go ahead and spend a few bucks and, and rent it. I personally would not buy it just because it's not a genre or a movie that I would necessarily go back to on a consistent basis to justify spending more than five bucks on it. But, yes, that is going to be it for me, guys. I appreciate y'all joining me, and I will catch y'all next week on another episode. Laters.